welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. And we're back with episode 133 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Today we're bringing Darren Chevrier. Chev, Chev, Chevrier? I think he's got a little French accent on there. But uh, sorry, Darren, if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, before we get rolling, though, uh, this episode of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Jiffy Ice Augers. Jiffy has a whole lineup of ice augers, gas and electric. Check them out. We're just creeping on the doorsteps of ice fishing season right now head over to jiffyonice.com and check out their full lineup of ice augers today get set up for the this coming season be a good time to get some stuff in order eh? hey did you see that last social media post they made on instagram with the 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 scientific kind of auger for up north there it's got the super long flight i haven't no this yeah. is interesting though yeah, it's got like an eight foot flight or something like that. What? That's insane. Yeah. yeah so they're using the the rogue just like we have there to yeah. to drill down through all that ice. Wow, that's incredible. That's take wild. a look. It's pretty wild. I'm gonna have to take a look. You're gonna ask me a question there before I cut you off about the the Jiffy stuff. I have to check in around that though. I was just gonna ask you how's it going, man. Oh yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, finally gearing up for fall. I know we got out for a little activity. You and I. Hit the hit the elk woods and uh this weekend i'm going to be getting out on a bird hunt so we'll see how willie does in the boat nice that's awesome man yeah we had uh, a little elk adventure there we went out for the long weekend hit the elk woods and it was nice because it was surprisingly like a quiet weekend as far as like traffic goes and uh like other hunters traffic yeah yeah and it was oh well not so good that it was kind of quiet on the front that uh you know we didn't bugle front yeah from the bugle front so uh we did have some action i missed a cow (laughs) that yeah that one was a bit of a that was definitely not how that scenario unfolds in your head though i'll tell you that much no no and uh the tough thing was was like um so i missed her twice is what i want to say super embarrassing first one she 100% wheeled my arrow big time. I don't think I would have hit her even if I was dead on. And the second one, I, I'm pretty sure I just clean clear missed at 60. So, um, But the thing that brought to my attention is the importance of having like a lighted knock. So I ended up picking up some lighted knocks just off of Amazon uh, for this next tour that I go on the following weekend here. So... Uh, I, I, I am happy to have these now and it's just like, A, they're easier, easier to find your arrows. But the big thing is like that when I was shooting at that elk, it was last light kind of thing. And I had no idea where my arrow was flying. Like normally during the day, you know, you can get a good track on your arrow and see where it hits or see where you miss or whatever. This, I had no freaking clue where my arrow was going. So, um, first thing I did when I got out of camp was buy lighted knocks. <laughs> <laughs> that that was your lesson from that that was my lesson from that well my one one necessity the other lesson was just i need to focus more on my shot and pick a pick a spot i think 
because I was way yeah, too yeah. generalized in like where I was shooting. Uh, I realized so. Hindsight's yeah. twenty twenty. Totally. Kind of fun for me though, because I got to come into camp this year with zero pressure on me. Yeah. And uh, just kind of head out there and enjoy it. Yeah. Which was really nice to be a part of, and. It was kind of weird though leading into camp because I like you we didn't have time to really dig into things like we normally like to I know we're usually very prepped for things like this mm-hmm. like full list uh you know gone through a few game plans in our head already gone through through like scenarios stuff like this <laughs> and I feel like we just kind of with life we just kind of bombed out there this weekend it was almost felt like I forgot how to hunt a little like not not totally but like it was like did i bring all my stuff is is, do i need all this for this trip yeah like these were questions running through my head i was like do i need my rain pants i don't know (laughs) and i didn't line up needing them but uh yeah there was just a bunch of stuff like that that it was like i feel like i should know the answer to these these questions right now i'm I'm second guessing myself there is definitely some some like insecurity of of the stuff that i packed as well and uh i mean thankfully we're not deep in the woods somewhere where we can't access a store if we needed to and uh yeah the other thing just all worked out for having everything i needed in the pack luckily so good camp though overall besides missing we did catch one bugle a lazy, lazy, well, a few beagles from one one bullock, but just can get them riled up. We bumped them though, right? So <clears throat> we did bump them right before that. We bumped the bachelor group of whitetails too, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So good activity in that in that area that we got into. Yeah, but the it was kind of hard. The bush again, so thick there. It's kind of hard to to lay a plan, especially when they're not aggressive at that point in time. Yeah. Tell them, so, let's tell everyone about the highlight, though. The highlight is at the stakes over the fire. No, I was going to say that our buddy arrowed an elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was super cool, and uh, yeah, so we get we get a we get a you get a text, I think it was from you know just as we're heading out for for evening hunt there the one night I think it was on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Hey, I shot I shot at a cow. Uh, I think I got her and then it, it kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah. Yeah. So we had just got to our, rolled into our hunting spot, got the text and it's kind of like, all right, we'll go. We didn't have a long walk into where we we're going. So we hiked it in and hiked it in and then started talking to everybody being like, Hey, so what's, what's the plan? Are you guys, is it elk down? And, uh, shots sounded good, but the, the behavior of the elk didn't sound great after. So we're kind of like, all right, well, let's, uh, you know, he kind of was looking for some help and we're like, all right, well, let's head over there. So we, we cut our hunt off a little early to help him track this, this elk that he got. And, uh, turned to be a pretty interesting evening that man, we spent a lot of time looking for blood. It was, it was kind of weird cause it was the way he described the shot and the w- way the elk acted was kind of contradicting what was, what we, you would think from elk that was like hit good. And, uh, we tracked that, tracked that elk for, I don't know, hour and a half kind of thing. Yeah. But it was, not it was far, slow. not far. It was a lot of it, like it, looking for it blood. Was, it was slow tracking. It wasn't bleeding a ton. It wasn't that pink foamy blood that you, you really want to see. 
No, I'm glad there was more than one of us out there because, like, man, we had that. It was. It reminded me of that duck hunting, that duck mountains track job that we did all the years back there, where we were just searching for specks of blood on on fallen leaves, kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. And at least we weren't racing the rain this time, but we landed up tracking her. What what did we figure there? Like seventy yards or something like that. We bumped her. At one point in time, and that was kind of our decision to to lay off that night because it just wasn't worth it to push her any further. Yeah, yeah. So we we ended up hunting in the morning, no luck, and uh, came back to camp. And uh, I don't even think we've seen an elk track in the morning. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we eventually started tracking, and it, it, we pretty much ran out of blood. I remember our buddy found the last little fleck of dried blood on this leaf that led into like the thickest bush that we've been in yet and And it literally fell off like the 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 piece of blood literally fell off the leaf so like if if we would have brushed that with our pants it might have been it might have been a bad scenario yeah and then so we kind of followed this well he followed this little little trail that led into the bush and eventually caught up to this this uh cow that he got so and she had been expired for a while obviously expired during the night and it was luckily it was cool enough at night that uh, the meat cooled down nice, and it was perfect, man. When we when we cut that thing up and we went back and had some tenderloins for lunch, and uh, couldn't ask for a better meal than that. Oh man, yeah, how great was that? And then there was a few few lessons built into into that job too, because because she had been left overnight and she was hit a little farther back there. We we did realize that we wanted to try the the gutless method, and I think that was the first time all three of us had really. Well, the the other guy had experience with it once, but on a white tail. But yeah. the this was the first time you and I had tried the gutless method of of cleaning out an animal, and it uh, it actually worked surprisingly well. It was pretty with, nice, with, man. I might I might consider it a lot more often because it's I feel like it's a lot cleaner than. Especially if you get something with uh, that's hit a little bit further back, you know what I mean? Oh, Just totally. Keep all that stuff out of there. Yeah, and we uh, <laughs> we managed to get the, the the loins out even with uh, with basically with your hands because there there's a there's that uh, membrane that keeps all the intestines together when you're you're messing around there, right? So yeah, it's so cool. And then so after we finished field dressing this thing. We kind of did a little autopsy on her because we're like, what the heck happened here with this thing? Like the shot looked good. Like it looked good, right? Yeah. And uh, like the the exit, the entry and the exit holes, right? Yeah. And he, he had clipped one lung and some liver and then kind of exited through the, the, uh, the guts there a little bit. But you think, you think just one lung and some liver would put that animal down real quick. Like, Whitetail for sure. I remember that moose I shot way back when. It was just single lung shot and some liver, and that thing went down in like hundred yards. Yeah, we didn't track her more than a hundred. She went through a lot of thick stuff, but the fact that we bumped her three hours into after being shot—that was the alarming part. That was surprising, man. It was wild. Yeah. We st- based on her body temperature, we think we think she died that evening. So you know that was still good to hear yeah we didn't we didn't lose any meat we didn't nothing bad happened that way so in a lot of ways it was almost an ideal track job there was three of us there with frame packs um 
It was looking grim a couple times, man. I was, I was ready to call the, you know, let's just start gritting, grid, ah, gritting out the area. Yeah, and, or a little uh, spiral or something. Yeah, and and see what we can find because there was a while there we went without blood. It's tough. Yeah, it's tough going. Yeah, not a good feeling. Other lessons we learned, uh, we that it's difficult to hug with the frame pack on. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all had frame packs on, so when we finally caught up to this thing, it uh, it was a little awkward doing the celebration, but it was still good. Um, and then you know what I found with with my frame pack there with the waist buckle that that broke on the the Alps Commander frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got in touch with them earlier this week, and they're sending me out a new buckle right away. So that's that's nice. good news there. No no hassle whatsoever. So one upvote for Alps. That's good. I would say, yeah, wicked. Seemed like yeah. they had. I read their customer service stuff on the on their website and seemed pretty good. So, yeah, seemed like they cared about their product. The other perk about having an elk down in camp was we finally got to crack that bottle of wine. I've been carrying back and forth to camp since we started hunting elk. So, oh yeah, that was beautiful. We doled that out with a little bit of the uh, the tenderloin. It, it it turned out really good. Yeah, man, that was it. Was a good meal. It was like. Scalloped potatoes and tenderloin and red wine, which was, I don't know, a perfect oh, like camp celebration. Yeah. Paired together really well. You threw some catch and cook in the in the potatoes there to thicken them up. Yeah, no, that worked great. I was I was kind of concerned because like, oh man, I didn't bring anything out, and the the it was the sauce was looking pretty pretty thin. Then I just sprinkled some catch and cook on top, and uh, she thickened right up. So it was a win win. Always carry a little catch and cook with you. <laughs> Didn't have to use any goop this this trip, so that was good. No, no goop. You know what I was worried about though. We did get into that one spot coming up uh, the south end to one of the the access points we like to hunt that no one had been in, and the trail was super grown in, and the ruts were pretty ruddy. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, if if I don't get hung up here, I'm gonna break an axle, or it's gonna be one of these like kind of like the the fenders are going to get blown out or something like that mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah no i i it's it was nice because there the like it really seemed like there wasn't a lot of other traffic like last time we were hunted down there there was quad derbies going through and it was just i feel like it was mayhem like there's quads every evening for like two hours straight all you could hear was quads going down the trails yeah and uh knock on wood i mean that that's not the case when I head back out there in a couple of weeks, but, um, it was nice to see that. Cause I know like, obviously the elk, like not being pressured that much and just good for, uh, good for hunting. Right. Totally. Totally. The, uh, the wolves certainly got to work out out there though. Oh, I was laughing. We, I was going to say like, how much wolves do you think we went through? Cause like, I, I pretty sure I don't say I wore every garment I have, but like, man, was it, between the hot and then the cold in the evening and then the wet in the, on the grass, like there yeah. was, and I almost disappeared into a wallow. <laughs> you almost drown in a wallow, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was not expecting that. That wallow was like kind of stepping off the edge of the cliff there. <laughs> it was, uh, it was something else. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad that I didn't go full in because that that was a real possibility at that point in time. Oh yeah, well, given that morning too, pro- probably would have been a little bit of a refresher as long as it wasn't full of elk piss in there. 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty wet so i think i would have been okay yeah but it was nice to have the the performance wall for sure because you don't you don't have to mess around i basically the only point of discomfort was just how saturated my boots were at that point in time yeah the uh that's kind of crazy wearing that just like high perform high performance merino wool out there is like because i always find myself being like oh man i'm soaking wet right now just from like sweating and then you don't even notice how fast it like breaks away and dries off right yeah yeah it's unbelievable yeah Yeah. even even just on those hot days for sure you're like you're questioning whether you should shed a layer and then if you often if you just play kind of cool for a little while and like maybe slow down your activity you, you dry up pretty quick with that kind of stuff just as long as you're not wearing a bunch of cotton on top of it right yeah slow you down but uh, i I had the socks i had the the long johns on even for some of the mornings and uh i wore that long sleeve all weekend man every hunt i went on i wore the same long sleeve covered in bug spray sweat and everything and it oh yeah didn't really how, how, didn't really smell too bad at the end of the week so no don't mind how it. good was the shower when you got home though after applying multiple layers of bug spray every day to, to oh yeah keep... that was good that was good man yeah. um I had intended on taking a shower out there, but it just never happened. By the time you get back every day, it, you know, get supper going and then you sit down and have a cocktail. It's like 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a little extra work out there and we took Willie for a dry run. So there was extra stuff packed into our days too. So it just, yeah, yeah felt true. busy, but uh, it felt really good to be in camp again. It was good. We, we put on a few miles. Heard some bugles, seen some elk, got to re- recover an elk, and uh, yeah, we had a good, good couple of days of weather, man. This, we haven't really, uh, knock on wood, wasn't, uh, it was a great week, weekend, yeah. weekend. And we stayed relatively dry doing it all, so thank yeah. you to Wool Love for that. Yeah, if you guys are interested in grabbing some Wool Love, head over to wool.love. They have all kinds of bundles and packages. You can save a butt-ton of money there, or you can... Order your stuff right off Amazon as well. It's available on Amazon. So uh, check them out. That's Woolove, Wool.love. Or if you're interested in checking out something a little bit heavier, check out their sister company, Northwool. And uh, they're a bit of a heavier layer. They got some men's and some women's stuff there as well too. But uh, they pretty much have you everything you need for covered for an under, under layer and a mid layer. They even have little beanies that uh, work great for keeping you dry and keep you warm at night. Awesome. Should we get on to the, uh, the Darren topic here, the Darren discussion? Yeah, let's do it. Let's fire it up. Yeah, so when I first reached out to, to Darren there, it was uh, he was more than happy to come on the podcast, and it was great having him on because not only did we get a chance to talk some really like good cooking, he's a wild cook, uh, we got to talk like his hunting plans, which he, I think he just got back from a, a muley trip that he talks about in the podcast. And he had a really insightful post around it. And we did get to talk some of like that philosophy side of, of hunting, I felt, or the, like the lifestyle side. So it was uh, it was really cool to connect with him around that. And I, th- I think most folks are going to enjoy, you know, what Darren has to offer here. So without further wait, episode 133, Darren Chevy and uh, welcome one, welcome all. And uh, of course, we're going to welcome to the podcast today, Darren Chevrier. Welcome, Darren. Hey, thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. 
Now, we know you're from Beaumont, Alberta, but where are you tuning in from today? Uh, right now, I am in my uh, parents. I'm on my parents' front porch in Pictou, Nova Scotia. We're on a little, uh, our yearly summer vacation back to see my mom and dad. Uh, and yeah, I'm in the house I grew up in. So it's a nice little, uh, we're just coming on the tail end of our vacation. So it's been been nice, nice nostalgia. That's it cool. looks nice there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm. It's well, like you grow up, you, you guys are from small town. Like you grow up somewhere, you cannot wait to burn out of there. And then you come back and you're like, did I ever not take advantage of where I lived? <laughs> like I'm in like a small commercial fishing village of three, 3,500 people. It's all lobster fishing boats in a harbor. Like it's where you take the ferry to Prince of Rhode Island. It's gorgeous. My dad was a shipbuilder. It's like wow. literally heaven on earth. And I like couldn't wait to get out of here. It was the worst. <laughs> 18, 18 year old versions of ourselves are the worst. Yeah. Yeah, I feel yeah. that for sure. Hey, b- big dreams, though. Big dreams, right? Always. Like, yeah, all big time. Yes. Yeah, that that's not the worst. Maybe we'll have to dig into the Nova Scotia side a little too as we chat a little bit more. But uh, I, I am a little jealous. I don't know if you've been to Manitoba, but there's no way we'd be sitting outside like completely uncovered at this point at night. We'd be carried away by mosquitoes. Just I destroyed. Think. Yeah. Yeah. So no, there. I haven't even seen a mosquito here yet. If I'm being completely honest. Jeez. Yeah. 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 That's... They honestly, they have it pretty good here. I don't and, know uh, why. Uh, why? Like, I feel like lots of people move out of Nova Scotia. I guess maybe I always hear that there's a lack of work there. But every time I hear somebody like explain the East Coast or people go vacationing there, it sounds like a bit of a dream spot. Yeah, it really is. I almost don't like hyping it up so much because I'm like, oh, I'll probably come back here someday. So I don't want it like yeah, anybody yeah. to move here. Don't want to. Um, <laughs> don't ruin it. But no, yeah, <laughs> it really is. And I mean, I think during like, again, that C word that I hate saying, but COVID, it was like you saw places here just explode in real estate because there was nobody getting sick here. Yeah, Everybody yeah. was like, oh, this place is like the best. Everybody just keeps to themselves and rallies when they need to. And please and thank yous. That's cool. I, I, yeah, I did hear that East Coast is making a like a a bounce back though too. Like the the economy shifting are. a little, and like so, housing isn't as uh, as cheap as it used to be out there once once upon a time. No, from it's, what it's I hear, not it, and it is like making a really great shift. So I mean, it's exciting. The food scene's kind of exploding, which is very exciting. There's a very unique terroir to Nova Scotia. You see kind of the wine scene booming, and and even just the the food scene is is starting to boom, which is exciting because it is a there's a lot of bounty around here oh man we're gonna have we're gonna have so much to talk about we're gonna we're gonna talk food we're gonna talk family we're gonna talk some hunting we're gonna talk how we get into hunting these are all things i love yeah <laughs> we're, weird we're, we're super excited to have you on um but before we do you got to make it through the five burners um some folks almost don't make it through it but uh that almost takes a whole <laughs> podcast i think Dan, okay. our last guy uh, yeah, he took a he took a few minutes to get through the burners, but uh, we'll see how you do here. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. What are my rules? You just have to answer the questions. Is basically what it comes down to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're they're get to know you questions. Got uh, you. What's your favorite drink at the moment? You know what? Here. So I've been sober for I'm I'll be five years here soon. Yeah. Um, and these beer, these near beer, they're from the Our Compliments brand. 
Okay. They're delicious. They're the closest thing. They're the best near beer I've ever had. So these guys. Interesting. Nice. Because it's summer. I've, uh, well, my partner's pregnant right now, and this is the second time around. But the first time around, we had some disappointing experiences with some of the uh, the non-alcoholic beers uh, available. Totally. But it seems like the market is can like really evolving with uh, with some of those options as well. So I've marked down the, the compliments near beer here as a as a viable option. And it's like the most general. It's going to be the most like your like PBR. Nice. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like your shop beer, and then but there's some of these like microbreweries that are doing such cool stuff with with non-alcoholic or even low ABV beers. It's mm-hmm. yeah, things are definitely moving that way. Yeah, it's great to hear. It just makes it a little bit more accessible for everyone too, yeah. right? And a little little more normal, I find. So yeah, cool, man. What about um, you know this next one's a tough one, so I'll, I'll loop it back around. What, what's your favorite knife? Do you have a favorite knife around? Yeah, I do. I'm a Groman guy. Oh, nice. Heard of Groman knives? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess do you know where the the factory is? No, no, I'm not sure where. It's just down the road here in Picto, Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of have to. Uh, it was actually the first job I ever had was um, uh, sweeping that factory floor. My best friend ever, the best man of my wedding. Uh, his parents were the kind of co-owners. Their their grandparents owned it and passed it down to all the the siblings mm-hmm. um so that was the first cash job i was ever paid was sweeping the floor of roman knives and i still carry their uh their skinning knife on my hip it's a good knife uh, that's remarkable to have that connection like and, and to yeah. think about my, yeah. my buddy uh our, well our buddy chris just bought well i think it was last year i think he bought two roman knives last year year before i can't remember but but they do ho- have a pretty good reputation for holding a good edge and being like quality yeah. quality pieces they hold a great edge. It's hard steel. It's like, yeah, they do a good job. It's simple. And there's something about that shape that it works really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a mini buck or a mini uh, skinning knife that they call too. And it almost fits. It's basically like a, you know, the shape of a buck knife, but it fits perfectly in your fingers. So like for that literally skinning work, mm-hmm. it's like a dandy knife. I bought it for one of my buddies for a wedding present and he carries that everywhere. Ooh, that's a good wedding present. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm just looking at the skinny knives right now, and they they sure are beautiful. But I I got I think I have a a filleting knife of theirs at home here, and it's uh one of those like single bevel knives, just and it it cuts fish really efficiently. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, they're they've they've always and they've lasted. Like I've got one that my dad handed down to me, so you know it's pushing forty to fifty years old. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was a good question. We might have to keep that one in the rotation chase. Yeah. That I is like a good it. one. I like that. Favorite knife. Yeah. Uh, what's spinning on the turntable right now? Anything you're listening to that you're, you're really enjoying or anything that's keeping the, the mood alive? Yeah. And it's an, it's an odd one. Um, the name of the band is Petunia and the Vipers. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one. So you'll, you'll have to yeah. tell me more. Um, think of like modern day honky tonk. Oh, no way. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, really good. That and Orville Peck. Have you heard of Orville I, Peck? Well, I was just gonna say that sounds like some Orville Peck shit. If you're totally if, exact, if, quite quite similar. Yeah. So just if you're kind, into Orville Peck, you'll like Petunia and the Vipers. I've got it circled. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool to see these, uh, you know, younger folks come around and reimagine the, the country sound in, in some ways and put the 
put a completely different spin on it, but still maintain like some of those core elements, right? Yeah, the storytelling and the, yeah, there's some, I think that it's a pretty cool new wave. Much better than mumble rap, I will say. <laughs> uh, we haven't had any mumble rappers on the on the podcast. No, so I think they, maybe okay. that would be. <laughs> That's true, eh? All right, then uh, maybe we'll circle back to this one. So uh, something or someone who inspires you? My kid. Yeah. Yeah, my kid, like, inspires me to be a better person. Like, my family, my kid and my wife, I would say I've grouped them. Mm-hmm. Like, they they light a fuel for sure that's that's a different fire than i've had lit for sure so and definitely inspire in a different way but i guess it's maybe more of a motivator but yeah there's something about watching your kid grow up and watching them become the person that they're becoming and i don't know she teaches me as many lessons as i teach her for sure mm-hmm. yeah my wife is like one of these really strong ass individuals she she is a really great partner and she pushes me to be a better person and I learn a lot from her as well. So she definitely is somebody I learn a lot from. Cool. Yeah, Chase, I'm out of my league. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you'd agree, Chase, that uh, the the priorities shift hard when the when kids come into the equation and then all of all of a sudden I, I also find you see your partner in a different light too, because you you're really forced and or maybe you're you're making that decision every day to rely on each other in such a such a deep and impactful way that you and it really needs to be a partnership in in so many ways so yeah that i don't want to say that seems like a uh evident answer but i think i think that just yeah it's it's really great to recognize too and just be present for that right you have to be and i mean i i think it's a for if we want to live the lifestyle we live if you don't have a great foundation in a relationship i don't think people talk about this enough yeah i i heard uh i forget the guy's name he's uh oh elk he's the elk something he's one of those elk guys in the states i can't remember his name okay um guy oh the um cam haynes maybe elk shape no elk Elk shape yes him he he talks about it in some of his camps and i was like this is the first guy i've ever heard kind of talk about the home front and taking care of the home front uh Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of the other nine months of the year that I I think we don't talk about the work that goes in there as well to be able mm-hmm. to go do what we want to do and have the support system in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like uh, it's funny because I was thinking not so long ago about like I'm sure growing up my wife did not think that she was going to get involved with somebody that leaves for the amount of time or commits the amount of time in the fall time in spring or summer or whatever to the to the outdoors as, as we do and uh i mean it's it's uh as much as a relationship is like a 50 50 right or 100 100 is what you know a lot of people yeah. call it too you know it's it's uh it's a big commitment for them to be part of that totally <laughs> my wife didn't even know like i wasn't even into this when we met <laughs> i totally duped her <laughs> the ultimate dupe yeah, the ultimate dupe. I just waited to get yeah. into it. That's why. The long play. <laughs> you know what's funny? Yeah, and we, we've been into it our whole lives, basically. And uh, I found that, you know, I had a, maybe a couple years grace period when we were kind of young and and had a little extra time on our hands. But then she, she wised up pretty quick where she is like, 
be like, oh, we just need to make it through November here because it'll be the end of deer season. She's like, I've heard that before, but then it's ice fishing season and then it's turkey season and then it's uh, spring yep. setup season and then then fishing season hits and now you're scouting. Yeah, don't tell me it's just deer season, she says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, geez, maybe she's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's on to me. Yeah. So uh, just, uh, yeah be be cognizant of that all right on to the last one here and uh maybe maybe i can tell because i we can we got visual on you but uh we're just wondering what your uh for, for the guests here what your favorite camo pattern might be Ooh, uh i have a couple because like new school old school but i'm very much a vintage duck yeah vintage so, duck is probably one of my favorites it's so good yeah it's the best. If I was to ever like <laughs> put it, I don't know why every brand out there doesn't just do a run of that. Yeah. Because I would buy all of it. It's classy, man. So classy. It is. It really is. You know what I've, I've been trying to get back to because I, I still think it has a bit of an edge to it. What, what was that mossy oak one, Chase, that we were trying to source for the longest time there? Like the tree bark? Yeah. The, the tree, tree bark. Does, the yeah. yeah. I was trying to make the yeah. sizzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit, yeah. <laughs> I think Rut. I think Rut uh, Daniels is heavy on the. Oh yeah, pattern. he's got her locked in. Yeah, he gets that pattern. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, there's a few different versions of it. Like Mossy Oak has one. The Real Tree has one, and uh, mm-hmm. I think there's one other one out there. But that's Ooh, a good that one. A, that that is a really good one too. It's an effective pattern, man. Really effective for if you're like if you're uh, if you're well, hunting. if you cu- if you cut the sleeves off it, it might not be effective. But, yeah. like, <laughs> Just this glaring white looking like moose paddles up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. I was yeah. being really generous with moose paddles. Maybe yeah. like yeah. It's spike elk. Yeah. Spike spiker. Yeah. <laughs> spiker pipes. Oh, that's good. Well, that's the five burners. Congrats, Darren. You, nice. you made Thank it through. You. I made her through. Yeah. On pretty good time, actually. So that's uh that's impressive. Normally uh we get sidetracked pretty hard. I tried not to chew it up. Yeah, <laughs> we did good. We did good. good. But uh, just to give the the listeners just a little taste of what's going on, so uh, you know you're you're a busy guy. I can I can tell you're on holidays right now. Those are going well. Yeah, just, just checking. Okay, great. Yeah, nice to nice to have a little break. Nice. But um, so in your spare time, you're kind of really involved in the the kind of outdoor life, hunting kind of. Uh, we see a lot of home cooking. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, raising family and stuff. But uh, your day gig here, you you own a, a restaurant. Am I am I yes. right in this assessment? The, yes, uh, sir. The Chartier. Did I say that correctly? Sure. You nailed it, Chartier. Yeah. Oh man, those grade seven French mandatory French classes with uh, Miss Flat finally paid off. They really stick with you. And uh, but that so you, you got a French Canadian restaurant in in Beaumont, Alberta. Is that is that accurate or is it Correct, in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a little French town just outside of Edmonton, kind of like a little bedroom community. Cool. Uh, and yeah. And so and clearly that's been successful. What what well like what kind of drove you to? I'm just wondering like create a or start a restaurant in in alberta like you're, you're from the east coast uh what 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 you moved out west for some purpose i'm assuming chasing it's, all, it's money or a girl <laughs> <laughs> uh 
and Did I've you... always been broke. So <laughs> it, was de- it was definitely a girl uh, that had me out here. I was playing rugby at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was kind of chasing my dream west to continue playing at an inappropriately old age. And uh, she was going to do her master's at U of A. So we moved out here. Uh, and I actually met my wife like the first week we moved out here. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, it was meant to be. It yeah. Was how, yeah, definitely meant to be. So, um, but then just with the restaurant, you know, my my wife and I had been together ever since there. So 10 years going on. And um, I had always kind of been in hospitality. It was the, the real first job that I ever had was working in a kitchen washing dishes. Mm-hmm. And kind of worked my way through there. Um, paid my way through university doing that. Uh, and then went, moved to Ottawa afterwards because political science is what I took in university. So, of course, I would go to Ottawa. Yeah. Um, and I remember I walked into Parliament Hill with like a stack of resumes and like some little wiener came up like to take my application. And I remember being like, oh, shit, I bet you I'm applying for this guy's job. <laughs> and I was like, well, I handed out one resume and I looked across the street and there was a like a fairly nice restaurant opening there. And I was like, well, and so then I've worked in hospitality there for years and in kitchens and fine dining and then made my trek out here. So that's cool. kind of the culinary background. And then with yeah. the restaurant, um, we had decided after we had our daughter, uh, I was working for a fairly large um casual fine dining chain i don't know if you guys have them we don't think we've made it that far yet but they're called cactus club cafe it's like a i don't know a higher end joey's okay um and i was just working a ton and we had our daughter and i was like if we're we're doing this i would much rather be doing it for ourselves Mm -hmm. um so we actually did a a kickstarter campaign to see kind of what the appetite would be like because we were going to not do it in the city we were doing it in a pretty small town and i was like i don't know fine dining in a this town is gonna work but i kind of wanted to get out of the rat race of in the food industry it's very like who's doing what and reviews and all that stuff and i think i had kind of grown sick of what food was kind of turning into i really wanted to get back to connecting people to food not trying to win accolades or get on lists or whatever everybody had been racing for so uh, we decided to do the Kickstarter for the restaurant and see if there was an appetite. And it actually ended up being the most successful uh, restaurant Kickstarter in their history. Um, we ended up raising $105,000. Wow. Um, I mean, obviously, it costs a lot more to start a restaurant. But that just kind of showed the interest that was there and the type of food that we wanted to bring and that people were ready to kind of be connected to their, their food and their farmer. So we went ahead with it and... I quit my job the next day. Wow. That's, that's, that's so encouraging to hear. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And that was, that was a while back. Eh? That was how many? Yeah. Seven. 20... We're creeping in on that. Uh, that would have been eight, close to eight years ago. The restaurant's been, we just were creeping in on seven years here. It'd be in March. Huh. And you're so clearly, you know, one major theme running through, through your life here is kind of the connection to food and not just for yourself, but sharing that with others as well. Yeah. And so is that that's kind of really an undertone for maybe something that drives the the, uh, the restaurant for you there? Yeah, it definitely it definitely does. That was kind of the I I was working with a, a, a brand and my business card said uh, low 
global cuisine, local ingredients. Mm-hmm. And they definitely weren't local. Like, it just wasn't. It, local was being touted as this, I don't know, marketing ploy, maybe. Mm-hmm. And there was just nothing behind it. And I, I, that was, I think, my biggest driver was I really wanted, like, firm to table was being used, I think, wrong. And it was more of a buzzword than actually connecting people and trying to, like, I think that the, our restaurant's philosophy has been based around, you know, what French Canadian food is really is or was and it's about finding what is around you that's available and trying to preserve it because like our seasons are so mm-hmm. short you don't really enjoy the harvest you're too busy working figuring out a way to get through winter so a lot of our food is really inspired that way um and that's kind of i think more of where that local part came from because it was like listen if we're going to do this this is how it would have been done you have to figure out types of protein from around here that people would have sourced so mm-hmm. that was the the ongoing theme and philosophy of the restaurant is that we were going to work with farmers and bolster our local economy and figure out a way to get back to um direct purchasing from farms versus kind of where we are now yeah you can kind of see the holes in the in the in some of the local um marketing when uh when certain certain companies might be employing that in the sense of like okay but you're also offering like a you know like a, a full fruit breakfast or something in in the middle of uh in january in, in canada here so like you know i get i get local and there's there's certain constraints to an extent but um definitely even within my own lifestyle i've started to think more about okay if i was going to like try to decrease my footprint in certain areas here. What is, what is an actual realistic way to do that? You know, preserving, uh, fermenting things like these, these are things that we can do that actually, um, help you remain connected to your food, let you regain control over your kind of your, your food sources. But at the same time, you know, it might not make it taste like garbage either. Cause if I was just <laughs> to throw everything in the freezer at the end of the day, uh, it might not come out as great. So finding, you know, creative and, uh, you know, actually techniques that used to be used for a very long time is, has been kind of what I've been trying to do to, to reimagine <laughs> my diet lately. So unfortunately I just don't have time for it all. Um, right now I'm looking at in my backyard, there's a, tree full of crab apples i'm trying to figure out how i i make those into like a cider or something like that but i just don't have the time to go pick them all so it's um, a it's the age old problem of like we want to get back to this way of living but mm-hmm. our way of living now doesn't allow us to yeah to do it it's it's challenging it really is i i find it challenging in the restaurant it's kind of the same thing you were talking about with you know the full fruit breakfast or whatever there was there was a restaurant in town that opened uh and they said that they were only going to use alberta ingredients Mm, that's tough yeah well salt (laughs) yeah like what's like honestly what's the plan like you can't like there's i mean you could you really could but it's quite a rudimentary thing so i do think that there is there is a balance there like anything there's there's a balance to to trying to figure out a way of going back to no one will be self-sufficient as society again but yeah I yeah think that there, there's a way to be less i don't know what's the right word yeah i i would say my yeah yeah my goal would be to like 
I, I recognize I'm not going to be growing my own coffee beans anytime soon. So I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> kind of like, you know, put pause on that one, but just to have a little bit of more control and, or connection and where, where I can would be, yes. would be kind of my goal. So yeah. Um, if that means that I ran around the campground this last weekend, harvesting a bunch of rose hips to see what I can do with them, then maybe that's what I can do as opposed <laughs> to, to trying to grow coffee. Cause I tried that once and it didn't work. They got the, those stupid white bugs on it and the, the plant died. So that's an impressive effort. I, yeah, it wasn't worth it. Wouldn't I tried to make kombucha once and that was my <laughs> great failure. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk talk cooking a little bit more eventually here, but you know we were kind of we just kind of we went through that that as you call it the the c word phase here, yeah. um, and uh, just recognizing the the shifts that that kind of had for a lot of folks, uh, the restaurant business included. But you you were kind of telling us something really cool earlier on. And maybe, maybe this links to kind of your, your journey here into the hunting world, which maybe we should ask about first. And now I'm thinking about it, but we'll pair it together. So you had your own kind of journey into the, the hunting world as an adult, you, you kind of were telling us, but you, you're really uh, through COVID too, you're, you're trying to connect to your daughter in, in some, in some different ways here around the, some of the schooling you were trying to offer. So can you tell us first kind of like what your foray into how that your foray into hunting started and what that looked like? Sure. Um, I think this is season number eight. I'm pretty sure for me. Mm. Um, and it, like I was kind of saying that business card thing that I was saying, the lo- global cuisine, local ingredients, it was during that phase in my life where I was feeling like there was this, uh, I don't know, curtain across the food industry that, you know, we're not as connected to the, your food as you we feel. Mm-hmm. And I was living, uh, we had just had our daughter and we had moved back to our in-laws farm, kind of in an effort to get out of the city and start to reconnect with the land again. Um, and I was driving home. This is in the Edmonton Bow Zone, which where I still hunt and just live outside. Uh, and I was driving home from work and it was in November, and this giant buck walked out into this field, like the most majestic thing. The sun was setting behind him. He like snorted. This like stuff came out of his nose, and I just remember being like, "Well, that's pretty fucking cool." Like to see right <laughs> here beside me. I was like, "Is this like like?" It was four minutes from my house. I remember driving home, being like, "That was four minutes away. That was so crazy." And serendipitously, the very next day, uh, my father-in-law's friend Gord came over. Uh, and he just happened to be uh, like a competitive archer who um, had a ton of nerve damage and had the shakes really bad now and couldn't shoot and brought his bow over him was taught me how to shoot it just because he had it there and said what do you what do you think and I said I think I like this a lot (laughs) and the rest was history I I threw a pallet stand up in the worst possible I yeah I put a pallet in a tree he told me that I had to hit a beer can off a hay bale at 50 yards and we worked together until I could do it because then he'd let me hunt uh and then I put a pallet up in the worst possible space and sat there for two years and never killed a deer but (laughs) (laughs) it's the best thing ever so that was kind of my foyer in was like I was like you know if I'm able to just literally walk out my back door and hunt on the property I'm on and produce that much food like 
the size of that deer. Like it was huge. It was a huge mature white tail buck. I was like, looked like a cow. So I just remember thinking like, well, this is going to be the best thing. This is going to be easy. I'll just go out there and shoot one. <laughs> and it was not. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that we... was kind of my uh my entry. It was very serendipitous and felt very meant to be. I just it, the timing was kind of everything. And from the first time that I because I remember reading as much as I could and trying to learn as much as I could. And I knew I had to be out there early. So I remember going out at like three in the morning. It was like a 20 minute walk out to my stand so i'm like sitting there for three and a half hours in the tree but i do remember when the forest that feeling when the forest like comes alive where there's no noise and then there's like the first mouse scurries and then like a branch like the forest coming alive i think got me more hooked than anything because honestly i don't think i saw a fucking deer for at least that first season so it had to be something else that got me hooked <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you how how did he did he have any moments there for those two years where you were kind of contemplating contemplating your choice or were you were you kind of just so yeah. so excited to be out? I don't know. Like, I definitely I'm sure there were days that I did like really dumb sits, like sitting in like minus forty, like the full day, like being like I am going to stick this out because this is with the boyad, yeah. <laughs> sitting, sitting there like with this old darton that i like yeah, had no idea how to even really tune or sight in but i when i did get a doe after my second season it like clicked you, so you your your second season you were able to harvest the doe that yeah I, I, yeah i'm always curious when i talk to like uh hunters if they remember their their first harvest and you know what that feeling was like with is that is that your first the doe was your first year there my first year yeah my first harvest ever was like when i was a kid my dad my dad is a big hunter like and he okay like hunting hunting is my family my grandfather is like has a hunter on his tombstone that was his like that all it's all in my family i just honestly is way i was way too much of a bleeding heart as a kid i like was soft i loved animals so i love i still love animals so much i'm like take them mm. over humans any day <laughs> I just my my dad would take me deer hunting I'd miss on purpose rabbits is where he started and it was like he could not fathom how I'm missing these little white balls under a pine tree from like 15 yards but it was because it was on purpose I never wanted to shoot one but yeah. it was a rabbit that I shot first and that was I remember was my first harvest yeah and it wasn't the same as the doe the doe was like by myself in the woods an experience I harvest the rabbit was like a forced rite of passage yeah yeah and like i don't know have you ever been rabbit hunting when they don't die and like you gotta oh, crack yeah. their necks and they scream and yeah like that's that was my first intro to hunting and i was like well this is my dad's like beating this rabbit up against a tree he's <laughs> like making he's making me skin it and i'm like <laughs> hate this <laughs> i'm, I'm getting i'm getting some life lessons right now too so i'm, I'm writing these down here to like <laughs> it's a good reminder yeah yeah soft launch <laughs> Delete. soft launch please screaming rabbit the same man he Scratch taught me up. how to drive a standard it's standard by taking me to the steepest hill in our town pulling the emergency <laughs> brake and being like well <laughs> uh, so the, the doe's a, a bit of a different experience clearly uh yeah and uh did he kind of not turn back from there or did it like add fuel to the fire what would you say yeah definitely that was like 
and it was it it was the processing like mm-hmm. once we started breaking her down and and learning that and you know i i had some experience so it was like that that was a lot more familiar too and i think getting to that stage was was cool like my buddy made a rug out of her hide that i still have oh my god and just like yeah he just and he learned like he was my hunting partner we learned together he shot his first doe that year too and just like learning some of these skills and reconnecting i just it was definitely a a huge reconnection and a a very spiritual type of thing at a point in my life i think i needed to find that connection like i Mm -hmm. spirituality i know is such a big term and i think a lot of people are like oh god please don't bible thump at me but it's like for me it was like spirituality is so much bigger than religion it's a feeling and a thing and it's a belief system and it's Mm -hmm. all those things so i think that that was like reconnecting with nature and finally being like oh this is yeah i don't even know if i can describe it now does Mm -hmm. that make sense (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense to me because I know, like, I'm definitely not a religious person by any kind of uh, imagination of the word. But I know when I do go to the woods and I'm I'm spending time out there, I almost always come out with like a clear head, feeling more connected and feeling more grounded. So, like, I in some ways, I don't know if you would call it my meditation or whatever you want to call it, but yeah. it's, de- it's, it's definitely where I find my like rhythm and where I go to like kind of ground myself. And so, and I feel like I'm always learning something when I'm out there too. So there's always some sort of like lesson embedded in whatever I'm doing. So to me, I think for me, that's probably the closest I get to spirituality. And so I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to knock anyone for that for sure. I want to toss this into the mix too, because like, I've, I've always had this thought that, you know, I'm always just so engaged with these people that spend a lot of time outdoors. And I just, I get like mesmerized by their stories. And it's always the the people that spend the most time outside that always have the coolest stories I find. So that's always in the back of my mind being like, well, even if I don't get anything out here, Maybe I'll have a cool story to tell one day. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I honestly feel like I can sit with any without any expectations. Now, I I was not able to do that before hunting. They're, like the lack of result really bothered me. I'm a, the type of person who is very result driven and result oriented and not having a you just have to change your what your intended result is really what your goals are going to be but that comes with being old and wise and everything that you do. So I'm still learning that shit. Yeah. It comes with a few, few failures too. I I definitely had a, this last fall feel felt like it was a lot of, it was reminding me of that a lot, just to, to not place so many eggs in the basket of, of the harvesting and uh, to just maybe slow down a little and tune into more what's going around or what's going on around you as opposed to like, really hyper fixating on okay what what do i got to do if i make a shot and and those kind of things mm-hmm. so um i think i yeah i i re-educated myself by the, by the time by the time december came around i had to re-educate myself let's put it that way stuff man people go through stuff in the woods yeah <laughs> yeah i was out there quite no i was out there questioning my identity i was like i was swearing at myself like i've been hunting for so many years and I'm sitting out here, not seeing anything, not like 
gonna miss a shot and so like i was just in my own head so i i really had to like slow myself down there and like take a breath and really fine yeah i finally got something at the end of the year that helped calm me down a little too but <laughs> things were looking pretty dire <laughs> dire for a little while yeah i think yeah that's part two i mean i i a lot of blame gets thrown social media away for that um which i think is probably fair but like i don't know hunting magazines existed it's kind of the same thing oh yeah like, to- like i i get it like everybody's but it's still the same to me i don't i don't know i think uh, why is it worse that's a good question like why i feel like people are getting caught up in this like needing to be successful mm-hmm. like we're like legitimately unless my freezer's empty mm-hmm. it's not a necessity mm-hmm yeah i've and also i've gotten in trouble for throwing the word around meat crisis around the home a little too frequently apparently i've uh abused that word so (laughs) (laughs) it bought you too many tickets already yeah (laughs) oh well we're in a meat crisis (laughs) not allowed to use that one anymore so yeah that's uh, fair we kind of yeah. did go through a meat crisis anyway as a society. So that one kind of blew it out of perspective too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. Like I, I think part of it too is like, because everyone has social media, I shouldn't say everyone, but most people do like everyone is an influencer to some extent or everyone's self-marketing to some extent. So like how much of your worth is kind of tied up in that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so um, they, they say, you know, social media, they, they tend folks tend to just present the the best parts of their life. So I think if we're always doing that, it's just, it's, it's hard not to compare sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just, yeah. I just assume you, you hit beer cans off of a bale at 50 yards, every shot. And, uh, or just like, (laughs) (laughs) well, there's a few in the chicken coop here that I brought my bow home on, uh, on vacation because yeah. I'm going on a mule deer hunt like three days, four days after we get back. Nice. So I like kind of, yeah, I was like, I got to bring my bow back because it's kind of unethical if I'm not shooting every day and then going to go chase mealies. So, uh, but yeah, there's a few in the chicken coop there that I missed. So <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, that little guy. Don't worry about that. Yeah, little that little one. Don't worry about that. I was, uh, I seen a thing today on Instagram and I sent it to one of my buddies and uh it was i think it was a bear archery instagram page or something like that and dude shooting a trad bow fires this one arrow straight up into the air and knocks a second arrow shoots a clay pigeon that comes flying at him and then he has like his uh his um oh i can't think of the word right now um where your arrows go his quiver yeah hanging off his back and he just like picks the arrow back up in the air and then his catches this arrow in the quiver on his back as it descends out of the sky. Yeah. I've seen that kid. He shoots like wedding rings and stuff. <laughs> I was like, what in the world? Yeah. That's one of those what? like, don't try this at home moments. Yeah. I've done that before as a kid. Not, yeah. Not, I've done it once. Not to try and catch it. but <laughs> I had a friend who got a compound bow for Christmas when he was younger. Like no clue what it was. And what did this dad do but walk out into the back 40 and knock an arrow and shoot it straight up into the air? I was like, Mike, what did you do? He was like, I made myself as small as possible. Yeah. <laughs> 
And yeah, there's, there's really not much you can do. Cause like you're, if you're standing, you're probably already as small as possible, like footprint wise yeah. from that yeah. arrow coming back. Just down. maybe a little bit, yeah. <laughs> 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 but not running is probably your best bet. Like yeah. the odds of it coming directly down on yours. Then. Yeah. Coming yeah. straight back down. Yeah. Don't, this is not uh legal advice yeah, no, on don't pet. do not test this. And this is not endorsed by panoramic outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, I, yeah. I want to talk about some of the hunts you got lined up, but um, just thinking about how you're, how you got into it in the, in the first place here. Um, what kind of, what was your perspective after or that you're bringing to hunting now? Cause you, you've come in at it a little later at life. Um, I've noticed that, you know, your, your Instagram handle is hunting or uh, humble hunting, for example, like what, what kind of like perspective do you think you're really putting out there when it comes to your connection to hunting or what you're trying to portray here? Do, do you know? What I'm... Of, yeah, yeah, totally. The, yeah. the main goal, like I, and especially you know, I had this grander vision of being able to teach newer adult hunters as well. I still want to. I think that would be the best guide ever is guiding new hunters versus mm-hmm. rich folks from down south. But that's the dream. But anyway, uh, I would say the perspective that I have, and especially I think coming out as a naive East Coaster to Alberta, like it was a very tough place to learn how to hunt. And I think learning how to hunt at a later age in life is very intimidating. I think like a hyper-masculine environment, like B it's competitive. Like it's no matter what people are scared to give up their spots. They're scared to teach people new things. Mm -hmm. The internet's a horrible place. So any dumb (laughs) question and you are literally like basically cyber bullied yeah Uh, (laughs) like it's it's a it is i found it a very hard environment to learn without a mentor or you know trying to find it my own way and coming out of it i was like i just kind of want to make it a little bit easier for other people i don't know how but at least sharing and talking about and talking about the mistakes that happened and you know shot a bull moose like four years ago that i I never recovered and I shared that whole story and I took a ton of flack for it, but it was like, give your head a shake. Like you have not done this exact thing. Mm-hmm. If you shoot a bow and arrow, you've done this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but it was like, I think the perspective is more, I think soft, if I can put it in a different way. I think mm-hmm. I have a lot more empathy for people trying to hunt. And I think I um, have a little bit of a jaded view about kind of the older school generation of hunting. And that's not like a, I don't want a blanket statement that Alberta is notorious for like kind of the road hunting, that type of style of hunting. And I okay. think that um, it was a definitely not a great introduction either. To hunting. Right. Was going out with a bow and then, you know, going elk hunting and suddenly the orange army rolled in and <laughs> it's, there's such a high population of hunters in Alberta in some zones that it is like pretty much dangerous like guys are just ripping through fields that they don't have permission in and trucks and like i saw a truck that had a thing set up to snip on the bumper to just drive through the fence jeez so yeah this, like sorry, that's just you, not you, a you just froze there for a second but but uh, uh the truck that had something set up on the bumper what was it it was to like snip through fences that's insane like, so that they didn't pull down yeah 
like that is to me and i mean i'm not painting alberta with this brush i'm just saying that my i would say my um snapshot when i first started to go out hunting because i was going to busy zones that like every other first new hunters go and do because somebody says go here to hunt and everybody goes it was just i was like this can't be what it's like <laughs> and and i think learning that it's not is like an important step i don't think i would have stayed hunting if that was my perception of what hunting is and that's just not what it is it's mm -hmm. it's i think there is a very negative perception of hunter hunting and hunters mm -hmm. um and i definitely learned that that is uh not a fair perception to make because it's kind of that small majority i know everybody hears that but it's the small majority that ruins it for the rest and it's like that in anything mm -hmm. i i feel like that's where some of the work is though like um i like the term you use the, the softer approach to like just make it uh you know, there's, there's people are getting into it for different reasons. And if we're just assuming that people are getting into it because they want to shoot a big animal or if because they want to, they want to, um, see a thousand snow geese fly over the, over top of their heads, you know, every morning, you know, we might miss a lot of folks who are coming at it from different angles, which is like, Hey, maybe I just want to sit in sit in this tree in my you know my uncle's old property for for a few hours and see see what he used to see when he was up there or you know maybe i just want to catch a a 12 inch brook trout but that that brook trout's like really cool because i i used to watch someone fish brook trout once upon a time when i so like i i feel like that just reframing might help connect the folks that we might be missing right now in some ways i the way that you're framing that and that like connection to memories side of things is a huge portion of what we do at the restaurant and like mm. we do serve a lot of humble dishes at the restaurant and they it's about a food memory right it's it's a story tell everybody has these food memories and i think if you can tie into them properly mm -hmm. there's something to be said it's the same with these hunting and outdoor memories everybody has these these like core memories burnt in their head of the outdoors, whether it was, you know, their uncle Mike that brought this buck by just for your dad to see in the back of the truck, like mm -hmm. when you're a kid or, you know, see, yeah, I just, and there are those, I think tying into that side of it is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Just being able to make that connection, but also like in an approachable way to one where we're, because <laughs> yeah. I've been on the, the side too, where, uh, you know, I, I kind of always thought, uh, you know, road, road hunters are just kind of funny and we watch them on like Jeff Fox where they do an impression of them. And, uh, you know, we'd all kind of chuckle at that, but I remember very vividly, my vividly in my mind here where we were sitting in a field one, one evening, um, watching, watching deer kind of pour into the, into one of the grain fields and, uh, between us and them, you know, a couple of vehicles started to slow down or like on the other side of them, a couple of vehicles started to slow down. No one got out of the vehicles, luckily, but it was, it started to be a very acute reminder of how, how quickly things could turn south because we were pretty much on the opposite end of those deer. Mm -hmm. And we would have been very much in line with uh, whatever was going to be coming down range. We'll say so. Yeah. After that, I yeah. was like, yeah, maybe this isn't such a you know, maybe, maybe folks really do need to be careful and maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe we should be talking about that a little bit more. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I do think that that's another thing too. You're, you're taking a, a whole new crew of hunters 
and expecting them to understand ethics and safety and like hunter safety is great but i don't think there's anything the same as the time spent in a field like yeah there just isn't well chase chase is in on some of the mentorship stuff in in manitoba here and i i can't remember chase you were saying it takes like what do you say like a a, over a year to like fully mentor uh, a hunter or something like that to like if you were serious about it for them to like start to build up some of those skills from everything from scouting to even like you you identified darren like looking to where to hunt even right like what what land how do i find land and get permission on anything yeah i think i think like the when when you're talking about like hunter recruitment and hunter or not recruitment but like uh, i guess yeah new hunter recruitment um and mentorship it it takes about three two to i think it was two or three years of mentorship to uh to like um really have that hunter be educated enough to want to come back without like fear of you know what's out there and and all the stuff that they have to deal with like after two or three years then you're that that's when the hunter feels safe enough to go do stuff by themselves kind of thing yeah and you know what i i think i underestimate that part because i learned on private property Mm -hmm. and then ventured out into the wilderness (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i definitely yeah i don't think i've ever really looked at it that perspective i guess when you yeah on fear and hunting and that's yeah yeah if you have something accessible like that in your backyard it might not be as big of a of a uh um i can't think of any of my words today but uh barrier yeah barrier or like project to like go out and and find a piece of land mm-hmm. and where can i hunt how do i hunt this meanwhile you if you have something accessible really close to you that you know is private then it's kind of makes that task and a lot easier and it the fear of making mistakes is is i feel like not maybe not quite as high yeah, for sure. And I mean, even the fear, I think one of the biggest fears is getting an animal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the biggest goal. It's like the biggest goal. And then you're like, do I really want to do this? Yeah. I'm nervous. Yeah. Like that was another big part. Like there's, there's a lot of hurdles. And especially, I think I was just through this conversation, I'm realizing how lucky I was to progress because like even predators, like I only started having to worry about predators when I started elk hunting. It just wasn't even a thought. And then suddenly I was like, hold on. That sound is like a grizzly bear clacking its jaws because it doesn't want us near here. Like, that's. could you imagine being a first-time hunter and somebody being like, oh, yeah, it's just a grizzly saying to leave. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would ever go back. You know what? We, we've never had to deal with grizzlies out this way. So it's uh, – but they, I, I do have a healthy respect for bears. I'll say that much. Yeah, they, they freak me out a bit. <laughs> cougars too, dude. You were My you were the shoot a cougar. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Stalked him to fifteen yards. Whew. Come on. Yeah, he hit it with a rock. He was like throwing rocks at it, and it was just like not moving. Cougars freak me out, man. We, we were talking to a big cat mm-hmm. expert, and they said it's pretty much just like a black bear. But I feel like a cougar could be a lot sneakier than a black bear. What scares me? Yes. Like, think there was so my hometown was famous uh, because they were on Letterman. Um, you know how you used to do this top 10 list? Like, ooh, the top 10 after you read like a news article. Mm-hmm. Well, the news article was about a house cat that the RCMP had to shoot 
because it attacked the family and locked them out of the house. So it like <laughs> the kids came home from school, the cat like the kids came out, their faces were all messed up. Then the dad came home and he came out all messed up. Then the the animal control came, they got all messed up. So they ended up shooting the cat. And then he was like top ten reasons how you know your cat's trying to kill you. But that's a cat. Yeah. Like what? Are, what's a cat weigh? I don't know. I very much dislike cats, but they're like what five pounds? Yeah, ten. I think some big yeah, ones can be like 10. twenty pounds or something like that. But like two hundred pounds? Yeah. Doing the same thing? Like those things are cra- like I would much rather square off with a black bear and be like, let's fight a bear. And <laughs> a cougar doing its thing. It just yeah, cougars have got are a whole nother level. Yeah, I've also seen two black bears fighting in a in a very like fifteen yards from me, and it's uh. Really? That's also humbling. Yeah. Yeah. I was bear hunting yeah. when I was, when I was like 15, I did, we did, I did bear hunting and I also guided for bears, but yeah, man, those things can move fast and they are powerful. So I just got into bears this year and I'm, yeah, it's a whole other world. Too. It's neat. Yeah. It's neat stuff. You'll see neat stuff for sure. Yes. It's the best. <laughs> like, I don't know. Hunting rules. I get so excited and jazzed up when we get going here. Oh, so. that's so cool. <laughs> Uh, and so you, you, we've got the, the moose hunt there where you missed one. You've been on a couple moose hunts I'm gathering. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. A moose hunt is kind of all, like I always have a moose tag in my pocket because it's actually a general tag in a bow zone. Oh, wow. So if a moose, yeah, if a moose walks out, I can just tag one, which is really nice. Uh, and then where we go elk hunting is like very much moose country. So yeah, there's always one there and I've gotten, I've gotten one. So that was a very exciting trip. Well, no kidding. With the bow, you got a moose with the bow. Yeah. How did how did that shake out? Chase has done it, but I I've never had the chance. So, like, I cannot take very much credit. <laughs> so, we were we were elk hunting. We had gotten into a bull the day before, so we went in in the dark the next morning to try and locate him in the dark because we were weren't having much luck during the days. Mm-hmm. So I think we hiked in at like three in the morning and called a bit and got a little bit of a response. We were up on top of a ridge and daylight just cracked and let out another bugle and then i heard a grunt from down in the creek yeah i turned to my buddy drew and i was like dude i was like that's a moose he was like dude that we're not going after this moose i was like what like, we're, we are moose we are now moose hunting this is now a moose hunt and sure enough we blindly let out i don't know how many grunts and how many cow calls and it was early. It was September 15th. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he came side-hilled. He just kept getting closer and closer and side-hilled for the longest time, for too long. And then I finally saw his rack come up over and 30 yards. I double-lunged him and he went maybe 40 and crashed. Whew, unbelievable. It's like the most terrifying experience ever. That's a good story, but though, like, man. Awesome. That's amazing. Oh, it was so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> Pope and young moose. He's like forty six some inches. Unbelievable. On his other side. Oh, like yeah, fell right in my lap. Oh, that's so cool. That's so awesome. Yeah. They're such cool animals, though, man. Like his eyes were rolled right back in, and he was doing the sway, and you just could listen to him, like oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're just shaking. Oh, did he? Yeah, did... It was an adrenaline burst for sure, and just such a cool experience. Like we were deep in crown. We had like we had to pack him out. It was a cool, it was a very cool experience. Four of us there and we got him out. I left my bow back at the kill site and had to go back and get it. That was not enjoyable <laughs> after however many hours. But yeah, that was a, that 
that was a cool experience. Really did you cool. did you black out after you shot? Like I feel like it, that would be such a whirlwind of like you're you're chasing yeah. elk, you're onto a moose all of a sudden, and this thing comes in and it's game yeah, over. Almost. I think it was like it happened so fast. Um, it was more. I, yeah, I was shaking for sure. It was like I could not get over the. Um, it was the power I think that got me. Yeah. Like after I shot him, and he took off, I was like that is a terrifying end like we were just talking about cougars and bears I'm yeah like, um moose like that mm-hmm. thing it looked like a ship go you know when a ship goes through water and parts the water and it like makes that wake in the front of like a fishing vessel yeah that's what like the moose look like walk running through like a old growth forest it was just like clearing out this path in front of it as it ran away that i was yeah. like that is a terrifying feat of nature that thing is a locomotive yeah not much and then you see it on thing. the ground. No, everybody says the same thing. You get it on the ground and you walk up to it and you're like, "That's insane!" And that's so you, you walk up and you're like, "That the sheer size of that animal is in everything about it, like the size of its tongue, the size of its heart, yeah, like yeah. everything." You're just like, "This is so big. Everything is so big." That's that, <laughs> like my. I, I've been on a few moose hunts, successful moose hunts before too, and that and like oh, the first thought is always like, "Man, what am I gonna do with this?" <laughs> Like, yeah yeah you're like what is the this? plan yeah <laughs> and you start picking away and you're good yeah and then last uh, year my buddy brett he's actually the chicken farmer for the restaurant this one makes me sound like way more of an expert moose hunter um he had a 10-year wait for a tag in his home zone we wow. were down there muley hunting and halfway through we're like sitting behind the scope he's like i've got uh the moose tag draw this year that i got and i was like I feel like we should be moose hunting. (laughs) That's a once in a lifetime. Like you you get one every 10 years. Like, shouldn't we be moose hunting right now together? He was like, yeah, See, my father-in-law said he's been seeing a bull over and wherever. So like we could go over and check. And so we brought it up on maps and I looked and there's only this one piece of kind of thick, thick bush. And we looked at maps and my buddy Drew and I were like, okay, well, we'll head in this way. It was, I would say close to six. We maybe had an hour and a half of daylight. So we drive from this muley spot over to where the moose was. <laughs> and like, we had no intentions of getting a moose. I didn't have a knife with me. Like we were just kind of taking Brett. Oh, I'm ruining the story. Sorry. I gave Brett my bow from the, my previous year and taught him how to bow hunt that off season. He had never picked up a, he'd never shot a bow. He's a big rifle hunter and he kind of lost his passion over the years. And then I, we got him into archery. So this was his nice. first archery hunt. Um, and then we we looked at it on maps. We said which way we'd go in. And I was like, if there's a bull, Brett, he's going to come out of that bush uh, and he's going to come right into our lap. And Drew let out one cow call. And this young bull moose came sillily <laughs> running through the middle of this old oak field. And Brett like looked at me like we were some sort of like professional like moose guide saw newfoundland like he was like so amazed we called like it we had this thing from the time we got out of the truck to the time we found this moose i think it was like 40 minutes unbelievable and i i just i could not say enough to him that this is not what it's like yeah i was like i need you to know that this will never happen again this is not what hunting with a bow is like this is not what moose hunting is like like this is this will never happen again Oh man, those are two cool stories. Hey, with the uh, with the first one there, where 
was the elk hunt over at that point in time after the moose went down i'm guessing no the next morning we went out and i i was a finalist in uh, sitka's diverge contest last year and it was for a video of this giant elk that comes out my buddy alex doesn't shoot it sorry alex but i gotta give you the gears (laughs) uh it comes into like 10 yards in front of us uh i don't know that bull was a big bull like mid 300s oh wow man and and he wasn't he wasn't able to get a shot or what was the yeah alex he there was a a branch through his top cam of his bull. oh no (laughs) and so he was trying to get it undone i had called this bull right in and i genuinely and i mean this with zero sarcasm thought he was having a medical episode (laughs) yeah like when the shot wasn't going off and wasn't going off i was like looking at him and like looking at the bull and looking at him and looking at the bull and i'm like i think he's having a stroke or something like that (laughs) like something is off with alex (laughs) but we almost got him but no i have not been successful on an elk hunt i feel like i'm going to be that uh that gentleman you had on the 30 the 30 year elk chaser yeah yeah Oh, great. Hey, so that's dedication. That's going to be us too. <laughs> yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard. I honestly, I'm hunting elk this year. I have a serious passion for it. And I think it's from like, I don't know what it's from. They're just such a majestic animal. And I think it's the interaction with them and the calling and everything is, it's just such a great hunt, but you have got to be in the right state and have the right preparation done especially i don't know what it's like where you guys hunt but like in alberta where we hunt elk it is you need to be like mentally and physically prepared for it or it like chews you up Mm -hmm. i am not there this year (laughs) (laughs) i am gonna be i am gonna be a weekend elk hunter this year and i'm okay with it yeah yeah we're uh we're on the same same page and we got a few different things to deal with this year in the elk was but uh um yeah we're gonna be i think just weekend warriors this year because well tristan you're you're kind of busy with uh with the family stuff and got the little one on the way but uh and i i got a moose hunt book for that's gonna be the big trip but um we also got like record amounts of rain this year and since we began elk hunting here in manitoba we've just been dealing with more and more drought i feel like pretty much over the last like six years mm-hmm. every year's gotten drier kind of thing so it'll be different my buddy was out there scouting a, a little while ago and he's like yeah i remember that trail that we used to walk in on and there's this like trail that would we'd take for like a mile into the woods kind of thing that just just like a little deer trail he's like yeah that's all underwater up to your ankles now <laughs> i was like <laughs> awesome yeah that'll change things yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna have to change some tactics and see what happens. But what's the uh, muley hunt looking like here in a week, Darren? I'm excited. I again, like new species, never saw a mule deer till I moved out here. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, last year was the first year that I hunted them. Um, they they are in the bow zone, so like I've seen them before, and I've always had a tag because if one went under the stand especially early on i'm like i don't know which one's going to be which so i'm just gonna have both tags in my pocket because they're both general and i can just shoot one (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah terrified of shooting the wrong thing so but uh this is kind last year was kind of the first year that i put some effort into really kind of doing a muley hunt in muley country in that coolie kind of where there's off the battle Mm -hmm. river um 
and I like it's kind of a I don't know how to word it right you get the excitement of stalking like like you get the excitement of the movement of an elk hunt but it's not like the grueling 25k a day not hearing not seeing anything mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking forward to to be honest like there's something I really enjoyed about the patience that it takes to mule deer hunt I learned the last year that I'm nowhere near patient enough with mule deer hunting I try to get way too many stalks in versus like watching deer and figuring out and putting plans together so mm-hmm. that's going to be my big thing this year and I'm just yeah I'm excited to spend some time behind glass and yeah I think that that's going to be a pretty cool experience last year there were some really really large mule deer down there that yeah like world-class mule deer hunting and it's yeah I'm stoked that sounds that's, amazing I wish I wish we had more stocking opportunities in Manitoba to be honest with you that's um one thing that I kind of am jealous about being out west I do think though like you could there's guys that do it on whitetails. You can make That's anything true. a stalking opportunity, really, but it's not the same. Like it's not like you're glassing and watching them go to bed and yeah, going and making a move on them. There is something really. That's what I got. Like it's it's addictive. It's so addictive to go and do it, especially when you have a partner and they're like trying to flag you. And I almost like watching as much as I like. I sound like a dirty pervert here. <laughs> 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 I just sit in the corner and yeah. watch. That's where I know um, you're from. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there is something about like that. Sh- that stock is like there. That adrenaline rush is pretty cool. Getting pretty close to some deer. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And just sneaking up there and, and like having them not know you're there. I did a. I did do a stock last year on a black bear, and I was at full draw, but didn't didn't pull the trigger on. It was just too late in the day. Like it was pretty much dark. I just yeah. didn't feel confident about the shot. But it's exciting, man. Sneak up there and be like, all right, I got in killing distance um, with this thing. Yeah. It's there's something very primal about it, like yeah. for sure. It's one of those another as corny as it sounds, you are connecting to your ancestors when you're like barefoot yeah. stepping on cactuses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you definitely amp up the uh kind of the odds in some ways though too, because it's it's very make or break too, right? It's not like oh, they just kind of scampered off. Like you either get busted, I feel like, or something kind of happens. And then that like you're, you're, you're putting all your eggs in that basket. If you're stalking, I feel like in a lot of ways. Yeah. Cause you're kind of done. Like after you put the, like it is, I think that's why I was so impatient last year was that it was like, once you go and put a stalk on and you blow out the deer, then you're like, Oh, I got to go back. Now the deer aren't moving. There's nothing to do midday and mm-hmm. you kind of blew your day. So mm-hmm. yeah, my goal is to be a lot more patient. I've got a week there too. So a little bit more time. Um, and I have some better glass this year too. So I'm excited to kind of put it to use and save my body a little bit. this year. What do you use for stocking shoes? Just the, the old Hanes socks or you got something special? I'm trying to listen to this. I've, you got, if someone's going to steal this, I know they are, but it's <laughs> fine. My mom's a big knitter. So I'm trying to get her to knit pair of slippers for over my boots oh nice yeah yeah because then i think it'll i know being barefoot is like kind of about being able to feel too yeah. but it's pretty much all sound and get this we could call them stockings <laughs> like <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that's that's where i'm at with that i'm trying to convince my mom to finish a pair of slippers that i can put over my boots nice that, that's the second yeah. kickstarter Yes, totally. But do you want to know my why behind it is not like I, I lose my boots 
<laughs> oh yeah that's i why can they, never find my boots afterwards it's the worst well that's why they tell you never to like drop your pack when you're going on the stock too right because it turns yeah. out into being like a two mile pursuit and then you lose your pack yeah do that too <laughs> <laughs> still i get quite excited i've done like <laughs> i've had that conversation with myself in the elk woods when we like start chasing elk around and then you end up chasing an elk for five kilometers and it's like fuck now i gotta go get my pack yeah, <laughs> yeah i, just I can on. remember hanging i can remember hanging mine in a tree like being like i'm just gonna hang it right here and come back for it yeah i'll see it no problem yeah that'll yeah. help me yeah <laughs> yeah i remember uh, actually that's funny the last time we were elk hunting i was hunting, hunting with sheldon and he left his pack we got on an elk chased his elk around for like i don't know probably like 10 kilometers walked all the way back to the truck and then we had to walk back in another two miles to get his pack and back out <laughs> <laughs> he's like you don't have to come man if you don't want to i was like oh i got nothing better to do i'll come for a walk <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of a dick if i just sit at the truck yeah <laughs> i think that's the same week sheldon probably lost five elk calls too i think it is yeah yeah, yeah. oh that's funny those thumb releases are bad too. For yeah. Bows. Yeah. Seeing a we, lot of those go missing. Yeah. We had a buddy that was shooting them for a while and I was like, Hey, where'd your thumb release go? You're back to the wrist one. And he's like, oh, I lost it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I lost a wrist release after I shot my moose. Well, that's wow. Out of excitement? No, I, I took it off and I, I don't know what happened to it. I guess I left it. I had to recover the moose in a, in a slew and I just must've not picked it up when I, Usually I attach it to my bow, like, you know, a smart yeah. person does. I guess I didn't do that that time. And she gone. She gone. Yeah. So we, we've tried a little uh, muley hunting. We got the the shakedown on elk there a little. Um, what's the what's the scoop for whitetail? Anything big going on or are you just kind of playing it by ear? It sounds like the muley hunt's going to be kind of a, a focus this year. Yeah, my whitetail is always a pretty big. Like that's, I would say whitetail takes up the majority of my, like, off-season. Yeah. So that's where I put a lot of my, like, obviously scouting and free energy and permissions. The bow zone is a really challenging place for permissions. So I, I think I put a lot of emphasis, a lot more emphasis on that than a lot of people do because it is like, I feel like it's like buying mm -hmm. up real estate now. It's only going to get worse and worse. So, yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time kind of either helping out or spending time with the people that I do have permission with just to solidify those relationships and then i spend a lot of time in the woods kind of getting things cleared out and ready for the next season i'm a big believer yeah, yeah. like i don't know a lot of guys are really i feel like this is polarizing i spend way more time in the whitetail woods than most whitetail hunters <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah. clearing trails is like a good thing to do i think like raking trails is a, like i've seen it works they follow them so i don't know i spend spend a lot of time on whitetails because i really love sitting in a tree stand too there is that meditative aspect and it is right it's how i started it's how i started hunting and i think i think whitetail hunting no matter what i do and no matter what crazy adventures i get to go on i like have some big dreams to go on some crazy adventures i think whitetail hunting will always have that like i can't imagine not hunting whitetails it's such a game of chess they're such cool majestic smart animals i don't know I just love white-tailed deer. Are you feeling confident in your prep that you've done for the year? Or how, yeah. 
Yeah, you're feeling good. Yeah, and I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know if you can see my face. You, you yeah. can. Like, I, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. No, I am. Yeah, I feel like I have a really great, I have one really great permission that I received that hasn't been hunted for like 20 years. I had some good success on it last year. Holds a lot of deer thanks to Urban Sprawl. Like it's a pretty, like I, I, I wanted to make a movie about it call it the walmart buck because i could park at the walmart and walk to this stand if i wanted to no that's funny it's like an urban sprawl anomaly piece of land that uh holds a ton of deer and it's like this old conifer forest surrounded by farmland and there's a lot of deer in there so i i feel confident and i have another spot that carries quite a few does and Mm -hmm. i'm setting up a ground blind and that's kind of going to be my daughter's first she can't hunt yet, but hopefully we're able to take a doe and her be there. She hasn't been there for anything yet, mm-hmm. kind of going on the ground and actually happening. And I think that that might be a bit of a different experience for her. Mm-hmm. So that has been kind of the two whitetail goals is the one property I'm really focused on my deer and the other property I'm really focused on getting rowing something on the ground early so that she can kind of learn the process together and see it happen. Yeah. Are you reimagining the teachings a little differently than they were passed down to you? Like, is that? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, you know what? She's probably harder than I am, to be honest. So I think she'd probably take it a lot better. But <laughs> she, uh, I tell you what is the coolest part about this is that she really connects it with food. Yeah. Like it's straight up, I think because of, you know, what her mom and I, like what, mom and dad do for a living and she's always at the restaurant and that's just such the main focus and we just eat it so much mm-hmm. that that's just her direct thought process is that it's a food source not a cute animal and she does mm-hmm. find them cute like we had triplets here in town there's a and we i spent like an hour photographing them and they come so close to you because of town deer and like i love them i think they're so cute but yeah good too. She, it's a... she gets that <laughs> It's uh, it's, it's almost a tough thing to explain how that relationship can be, can be uh, like a thing where you're per- in pursuit of this thing to kill it and eat it, but you're also have this part of you where you can see it somewhere else and appreciate it and enjoy watching it live mm-hmm. <laughs> and want it want it to flourish and do better. Yeah, and I would probably potentially stop a predator from. Like, like that's the type of bleeding heart I have. I know that that's not what you should do in nature, but I don't know if I could like let a black bear take a fawn. I think I'd be like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it is like, it is a weird thing. It is a hard one to explain, but it, it's once you kind of make the connection, I, I think it's such an important thing. There's, it's, there's so many kids that are very clueless about um, their food. And oh, yeah. like, it's scary. I we did a pig roast for Father's Day in front of the restaurant early on, and a woman pull up like completely berated me for, and it wasn't even about. She was like, "This is disgusting. My son shouldn't have to see this. It's a carcass." <laughs> and then she, what she said, blew my mind. Was at least you could have cut its head off. <laughs> and I remember being like, "What uh... on earth? Like so that your son doesn't know what it is." Like that makes it better for you that he doesn't know it's a pig. Yeah. Then it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just there is this disconnection. I've had, you know, parents correct me from talking about where their food comes from just because I, you know, the, 
my daughter is at that age where her friends know that I hunt or they come over to the house and they're like, what's that? And, and you know, I'm in a restaurant and cooking all the time. So kids are asking questions about food and I've had parents be like, we haven't had that conversation yet. And I'm mm -hmm. like, it's not, yeah. we're not talking about like uncle so-and-so might molest you. Like it's not <laughs> that big of a conversation. Like we're not talking about like it's yeah, food. not the birds and the bees or like it's food. Like yeah. this is where, why are you saying that we haven't had that conversation yet? Yeah. It's, uh, That's yeah. weird. It's weird. And it's, it's going to be like, it's like, well, less normalized when it, when the conversations happen like that, where there's like, ah, don't say that. Don't say that. You know? Yeah. We're going to wait. I don't really under that conversation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's, it's almost like we divorce the reality of what, what actually happens from, from these kids we're 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 actually like removing them from from that that process that that reality that something dies to to kind yeah. of like sustain you at at one level or the other right so and it's not like i'm on some holier than now mission but it's like there is some form of i don't know it's like a frustration as somebody who spends so much time in in trying to educate people about food and where their food comes from and why these food systems are so important and mm -hmm. it's yeah it's almost disheartening sometimes when you're like how is this where people are at yeah with their food well mm -hmm. i was i was so i had a bit of a thought today when i was in the grocery store and i've been trying really hard to watch my diet a little bit better mm -hmm. not eat so many processed foods um and just you know be healthier and so i'm in the grocery store today and i'm, I'm kind of sticking to the outside as you know when we kind of put it where the meats and the produce and all that kind of fun stuff is the good stuff and then i'm like thinking about all the stuff on the inside and, and like i do enjoy sweets and like all that other crap too right it's good i enjoy it but it's not good for Cola you bottles yeah but Ooh, i'm, I'm thinking like good. like how much stuff is like in the grocery store that's processed like that that there's zero connection to anything that is really actually food in some sense. You know what I mean? Oh, without a doubt. Like, like you're like, how are you? Like it is the, like the epitome of the term process. Yeah. And it's, it's like the, it's like over 50% of the store is, is that's the bulk of what's in there. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not real food. Well, I like I not to knock grocery stores because like that's where I get my most of my food from in a lot of <laughs> sense, um, but like that it, that's the whole point of the grocery store. I feel like is to make it convenient for us to to source our food. It, it doesn't really matter where it comes from per se, or how it got there. It's just it's a matter of convenience that the food is there and hopefully it's at a, a good price. So yeah, I uh, like I kind of get that aspect, but at the same time, like when I think about the journey you're talking about there chase and the some of the stuff you're sharing darren like part of reclaiming what what we've lost i think is like maybe paying a price whether it's in labor or in money to <laughs> to really to, to strengthen that connection because there, there are risks as you kind of hinted at i think darren of not knowing what the connection is that you know you're maybe you're making choices that are not really good for your health or maybe for the environment maybe for society things like that right so mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's always, there's always some deal to be made We're we're running low on time, but there's, there's no way I'm getting you off of the podcast without talking a little cooking. And 
Um, okay. Especially like uh, coming from the, the French cuisine background. Like I, I try to kind uh, <laughs> of pick your brain for tortier because I, I tried to make some tortier this, this fall and it, it was okay. I, I did like a venison version and it was okay, but it did not pull through the way that I, I had experienced it in restaurants. So do, do you, is there anything you're comfortable sharing that wouldn't be like, maybe we'll say trade craft secret that could. Uh... Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. So tor- tortier is like one of the most polarizing things. It's one of those like food memory things that I was talking about. Yes. But it's also one of those things too, that is like, if it's not the way Mamere made it, then it is 100% wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's a, one of those dishes that how do you create that for everyone? Like, it's just, it's a really challenging dish to do. But there are so many different versions of tortilla, and that's what makes it really interesting. And and we decided to settle on one version, and I believe it is the best version. It's called the Lac Saint-Jean style of tortilla. And they're kind of like regionalized. Like, you know how like champagne is regionalized and things like that? Well, tortilla... Yeah through like folklore is regionalized and there's certain regions that make them certain ways. And the Lac Saint-Jean region has got some rules around theirs and it works out really well flavor profile as well. Mm-hmm. It needed to have a bird. It needed to have wild game and it needed to have pork in it. Hmm. And those were the three stipulations for the tortier. Um, I think that that is one big component is different textures and different like not just having ground, but having some some chunks and things like that, like almost like Interesting. you find in like a bourguignon. Yeah. And that's their style too. Um, and then when you throw things like duck and shredded duck and stuff in there from your hunts, you're kind of getting some more textures and it beefs it up. It's not just like a hamburger pie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- that's the thing I noticed most, I felt like with uh, with the one that I had that was remarkable in my mind. It was like the, the combination of textures, not just the... Not just the, the the filling, but the the crust itself was like a like a pie that I'd I'd never had before either. It was like this is like it's tacky and it's like um, but very like soft and almost crispy at the same. It was like mind blowing to, to actually be a part of in some ways. So <laughs> <laughs> I want you guys to come to the restaurant try our tortilla now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that and the spicing. I think spicing is one of those things that is really important with tortilla and those warming spices like. Mm-hmm. Chinese five spice like all those like nutmeg and cinnamon and and I think um, finding a really good balance of those because those are really uh, polarizing flavors it's like one of those cilantro things like people either love that flavor profile or they find it very overpowering like cloves and things yeah. like that mm-hmm. um, so I think finding the right balance and that is something that takes time yeah, you can get away too with putting a little extra pepper in a dish but you put a little too much like cloves or allspice and you're, you're yeah. gonna you're going to notice that. <laughs> so there's that. And then I think treating, you know, you got to treat all those types of meat individually to make them good and then put them together. So you got to cook the duck itself. You have to cook that chunk Interesting. Itself and the hamburger itself, then combine. And your pie crust is also another really important part. And like you were saying, it's like, it's not, a, it's not a dessert pie crust. It really has to be kind of beefed up lard wise so that it stands up to the pie. Like you should yeah, almost yeah. be able to lift your tortier with your hand because the pie crust is so yeah yeah stiff. i know but man does it it the the mouth feel and and it's such a hearty dish at the same time it's uh yeah, yeah. a lot of butter in that a lot of butter in that pie crust okay yeah, that's good to know 
Yeah. Um, and I was wondering too, have you, have you ever tried like, uh, we're, we're talking about duck there just briefly, but did you, have you ever tried like aging your duck? Do you have any like duck cooking tips that you, you like, cause it's a bit of a different, different meat too, right? It's not. Duck it's, is a hard one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Duck is a hard thing to cook. I, I, and wild duck is different than farm duck too, right? You, you have two totally different, not totally different, but they certainly flavor profile and texturally can, mm-hmm. can add up differently. But duck, for me, I use sous vide a lot because it's kind of one of those no brainers. Okay. Cause you can get your duck cooked to the perfect, just under your right. perfect and then finish getting your skin crispy and it brings the rest up to temp and like, yeah, yeah, I see that's, what you're the, that's the thing I find hardest with cooking duck is to cook duck well and still crisp your skin is like the hardest possible thing to do mm-hmm. you know, using like cornstarch. And, and that is a good trick is to put some cornstarch and stuff ah. on, on your skin and it'll brown it up a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, like knowing what parts to cook how, like low and slow and not much heat, like your legs got to go for yeah. You got to confit those bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's one of the things too, with like wild game cooking that is so simplistic to me that I love is it's like you either cook the shit out of it or you barely cook it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's your, those are your options. Really. Yeah. There, there's no about. middle ground there. You can't have no. the middle ground. Yeah. No. And I think for people that are getting started in their culinary side of things, like it seems intimidating but when you're not making sausages and curing things and you're really just dealing with excuse me primal cuts and mm-hmm. it's really a great like fundamental way to start learning how to cook mm-hmm. and then talking about primal cuts there chase has really been diving into like the shanks and stuff like that lately on his on his uh, animals uh any any recipes or tips that you really tend to gravitate towards when you're looking at those kind of like I feel like they used to be considered like rougher cuts, but now from, you know, some exposure and stuff, people are really starting to value like the connective tissues that actually can be broken down in, in, in those, those cuts on the animals. Yeah. I actually, Chad Mendez has a uh, neck taco recipe. You kind of Google that. Nice. I use that one and it's like kind of like same thought process as the shank, but you're just using a neck like Osabuco, right? Or oxtail. It actually looks like a giant oxtail. Yeah. When you do <laughs> it. But it's I I think that that was a cool way of using it. I never really thought of a neck like that. I always pieced the meat out and used it for trim and sausages. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, you could just literally cut a giant Osabuco and put it in the <laughs> it fits perfectly like a deer. A moose doesn't, but a deer fits perfect in a slow cooker and yeah, that's a good one. That's I did uh, one. I did elk or uh, not elk um, deer neck stir fry and like so like slow cook the the mm-hmm. the neck meat and then had some chanterelles threw them in there and like and then just did a little stir fry sauce and over a bed of rice and it was pretty good man I've been because I so you, you get kind of uh, I have quite a bit of like like uh, slow cooker style cuts in the freezer now. I barbecued up all the good ones already, and so I'm <laughs> trying to figure out different ways to put them together. But uh, I think elk taco or uh, tacos is is next on the on the menu. I like that idea. Tacos, tacos is a great one, and I'm like I'm a big awful guy still too. Like I'm not as much. I I'm, I want to like liver, 
and I know like it's super cool to like liver. Yeah, yeah, everybody's eating liver. <laughs> um I can't do it. It's like the it's the graininess of it. If there's old guys around, I'll choke it down. I, <laughs> get your street I cred not. up. Yeah, yeah, I gotta get my street cred around the barn good when the boys are frying up liver and onions fresh. Um, but I really don't love it. But aside from that, I moose heart is probably the best dish that I made off of that moose. And I did it like Thanksgiving stuffing inside oh, of yeah. the moose heart whole, and then you roast it and then you cut it and it looks like a porchetta. It's like the best. Mm. That was really good. That and tongue, I'm a sucker for. My dad always had tongue in the in the um, sink at home. I'd come home and there'd be just a sink full of cow tongue. <laughs> I like it. It was good. That's that's so cool. That, I, I, I wish we had that a little bit more. Yeah, that's the one thing I haven't tried yet is tongue. I've saved a few tongues, like white-tail tongues, but have never, uh, never turned them into anything. Um, if you get a moose this year, promise me you make moose tongue pastrami. One hundred percent. If I get like a, an elk or a moose, the the tongue is coming out, and that thing is going to be like a, some sort of something cool. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah pastrami is a great one. Pastrami is great, and it's like yeah, the tongue. I don't know. It works so well with the pastrami recipe. That that one would almost be worth. I I'm not a big fan of telling people that, not telling people what they're eating. Like I like yeah. I've had a few buddies been like you're actually trying deer sausage right now. Like I'm not yeah, a fan it's of like, it's semi like date rape like date rapey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, you're kind of like what? <laughs> but tongue pastrami might be worth pulling that card for just because it's it's so out there in in some way. They ways. never know. They yeah, it's so you wild. Never know. It's delicious. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I think Chase, we're, we're, we're probably, if not at time beyond time, but, uh, it's been a really fun one here, Darren. So, um, yeah, we, man, I could just do this normally. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. we need to have you back on for sure. Let's do yeah. a, we should plan like a post post season check in mm. with you. Yeah. I'll probably be like completely struck out and licking my wounds and questioning hunting. Oh man, you and me both. Was... I got, I got <laughs> yeah. like, like a, a a banner fall in the plan for the plan for this fall, and I'm just like, I'm hyping myself up way too much here, and I'm I'm going to be struck out by the end of it for sure. That's why it's the <laughs> best thing in the world because no matter what, I am. What before I go on every hunt, like I'm sure you guys are the same. I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> That this is, it's all going to happen. It's going to be the I night. Could, whatever it is I'm hunting, it is going to be the largest. It's going to come in the most incredible way. It's like I have it all panned out. And then I leave like with my tail between my legs. And yeah. I, the next morning I wake up and I'm like, okay, now I think it's going to be today. Yeah. And it's going to be like this. Like, I don't know how we do it, but I know that's what liars to ourselves. My, my, my <laughs> wife gave me that question last year after like endless yeah. trips to the deer stand. She's like, so like, do you think you're going to get something tonight? <laughs> Are you going to catch a deer? Yeah. yeah. I like, <laughs> I, you know, I I have full intention of getting something every time I go out. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, this has been great, guys. I, I really appreciate it. It's been yeah, 
yeah and thank yeah thanks for tuning in thanks for making time for us and it's it's been fun sharing stories and hopefully we'll even maybe pump a few recipes out of here or something down the road here and yeah i've got a few on backlog that i can i can share yeah yeah that's exciting and uh we'll we'll wish you luck this fall and stay in touch awesome you guys thanks so much thanks man have a good fall boys you too. i'll stay on <laughs> And that's a wrap. Episode 133 with Darren Chevrier. Um, Darren, thanks those, for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, one of those conversations that I just really feel like uh, I really enjoyed having that conversation. I'm, and I'm glad I got to meet Darren. You know what I mean? Yeah, Darren's definitely a guy we could hang with for sure. And seems to share, even though he arrived at hunting a little later in his life, definitely like shares a lot of the same kind of passions obviously and and outlooks as as you know i think what we're trying to achieve so it was just really great to connect with him uh and i'm looking forward to following along on his hunts this fall and, and see what's going on because he does such a great job i i find of just presenting it so he, if you want to look for his uh his tag there's humble hunting on instagram and he does a lot of content through there yeah humbly is and uh really cool guy and i'm, I'm looking forward to having more conversations with him and and uh following following him on instagram um something i'm pumped about i'm i got a box of brand new barnes tip tsx's 30 cal 180 grain book tail bullets here you got some over here why do you you buy more no those were the those are the match point ones i had over there oh really yeah they weren't the uh tip tsx's so and I only only had about a dozen there, and these were on sale today, so I had to buy them. You only bought one box, just one, yeah. You cheap bastard. I know, but that should last me like ten years, hopefully, or two, depending on how bad I shoot. I've been shooting pretty bad lately, so um, <laughs> maybe one year. Um, bad news is for Sheldon, they only had one type of Winchester short mag preloaded ammunition there. <laughs> <laughs> which was some deer hunter load by Winchester. And, uh, yeah, if anyone has any hot tips on where to locate some, uh, some like premium ammunition, let us know. Is that who he we went to. through? Is that, or what's he shoot? Winchester, what kind of short mag? He's got a 300 Winchester short mag. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's not Maybe. getting any of my fucking ammo. I'll tell you that. I was just saying, he will be. <laughs> be hand bombing them loads yet yeah might have to but whatever works um seems to be a shortage in that department that's for sure there's definitely a shortage at uh cabela's there i don't know what the deal is but not good not good anyways is that a wrap any uh any outgoing advice there for the for the listeners here um again be sure to check out our store now is a good time to gear up for fall We'll try to get to you ASAP. Uh, we're going to wish you luck in the field, in the streams. Both fishing and hunting should be getting real hot real soon here. Uh, we've already seen some very cool pictures of folks who've connected with us. So thank you for that. And I would say if you're heading a field to uh, keep those broadheads sharp, keep those knocks illuminated. And uh, what's the last one there, Chaser? Shoot straight. Shoot straight. Sounds good.